Welcome to another Energy Crew podcast and your host, J.P. Warren. And I want to thank everyone for tuning in on this, uh, whatever day you're listening to this on. This is the first podcast we're doing in 2022. And uh, right. this big deal. It's a big deal. New year. Are you are you new year, new you guy or not? <sighs> not really, but uh, but why not? Okay. So, okay. So maybe new year, new you. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to Energy Crew uh, podcast. And uh and so this, before we got kicked off, I want to kind of, let's introduce yourself. And then, then I kind of want to kind of give some framework on what we're doing today, what, sure. what we're here to, to discuss. So why don't you get this kicked off, kind of tell us who you are a little bit and kind of your background and all stuff, and then I'll take over and then, and then you take over. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, so my name is David Little. Uh, I've been in the oil and gas, uh, sector for about 12 years now, worked for, um, uh, EOG resources for uh, the entire the entirety of my career. I started with them as an intern and currently with them as a uh, corporate reserves engineer in the Houston office. Um, and what we're going to talk about today actually has nothing to do with my job. Nothing. Um, we, were, um, nothing. <laughs> we were at dinner a few weeks ago, JP and myself and somebody, we got on the topic of Bitcoin and I started talking about it. And, you know, JP said, well, why don't you jump on the podcast? I'd love to kind of have a uh, a fundamentals discussion. So that's kind of what we're hoping to do here today. So this is, so, so that's exactly right. So number one, it, 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 I heard you discussing at the dinner with, with yep. Andrew Abbott and uh, me um, over the summer. And then we had that, that crew club dinner where you yep. were discussing all that stuff. And I feel kind of like I'm, uh, I kind of feel like I'm in the boat with a lot of people. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, I feel like when it comes to Bitcoin, yes, I know it's here. I know it's there. Um, I understand it a little bit, but it's, it's one of those things where I'm not comfortable speaking to it and all this stuff. And the, and what I really dig about how kind of you talk about it and all this stuff, it's, it's, you know, you know, the majority of people you talk about, it's, it's, it's a camp mindset. It's either sure. you're pro all for it, all for Bitcoin or for cryptocurrency. It's the way of the future. And it's kind of like that, that camp mentality. And there's other people that's like, look, I don't understand enough about it. So I don't want to learn about it. And I'm actually, that actually I'm about to go get my tea too. But <laughs> so it's one of those things where it's like, this is kind of, it's number one, it's an education thing for me, just because I feel, I want to learn about it. Okay. Yeah. And I think that the way you describe it, the way you talk about it is a very, um, it's very uh, rational. It's very reasonable. It's very logical. And it's, um, it's backed up. And the, the, the way you explain it too, I really, I really enjoy the way you talk about it and discuss Bitcoin just because, um, it's yes, you are excited about it. I think that's one of the reasons why you are so good at communicating about it. But there's also something that you're it's, you're very passionate about. And and I, I'm all about this right now. The fact that I want to learn about it. And I think that you're probably one of the best uh, people in my circles to learn about it from. And uh, this is whether you're, a, as we said at lunch, whether you're a millennial, whether you're a boomer, whether you just don't know much about it, or whether it's one of those things where you know a little bit, you're scared to talk to it, or you just kind of want to learn something more about it. That's kind of what we're doing here. And the, the, look, you have some notes written down, which I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. enjoying, and and I'm going to be asking questions throughout. And and I think this is going to be kind of a good guide and kind of a good um, uh, discussion to have um, yeah. to kind of shed some more. Uh, to shed some more light on uh, uh, Bitcoin, what it is, wh why, 
you're betting on it. Why, why right. a lot of people are betting on sure. it and kind of, uh, where you kind of see it, I guess, uh, the application into our daily lives in the near future. Cause it sounds kind of like, it seems like the people that are on the Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency chain do believe that it will um, be the primary source of uh, transactions, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the world reserve, the world reserve is, res yeah. currency. So I'll tell you what, let me grab my team and let's, 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 let's get this thing kicked off. Okay. And, and just to provide a little bit of background uh, for you, JP is, is um, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, I'm, I'm very much, uh, of an advocate for Bitcoin because um, of what I think it's going to do for the world. But I think education is incredibly important and it's, it's, it's doubly so in this uh, kind of asset class because it's so volatile and, you know, volatility is the price you pay for upwards price movement. Like we've seen historically with Bitcoin. But if you haven't taken the time to educate yourself as to fundamentally why it has value um, and, you know, understand like the bullish case for it long term, then the short term chop, the short term volatility scares a lot of investors right. away. And so that's why that education piece is so important, because if you really understand it, um, you're not scared off by these extremely volatile moves. Well, it's, it's also one of those things, too, you can actually, you know, you, you see Bitcoin, you're not you're not going to keep scrolling like, oh, that's just that's one of those things I don't understand, like whether it's NFTs, Bitcoin, yeah, yeah. one of these new things that are popping up like, oh, I'm going to keep I don't understand that that much. I don't keep scrolling. So actually, why don't you start off with kind of your sure. introduction to Bitcoin and kind of what you what uh, again, I'm I'm a, I'm a preface this everyone. I know very little yeah. about Bitcoin. I know I don't know how to discuss Bitcoin. Um, I don't know. uh much about it. So I think this is a great opportunity for you to teach me and also the listeners out there what's going on. So what, what were you, I guess, previously kind of in, what got you involved in, I guess, this, this movement or this, this, this new asset crypto class. Yeah, this yeah. asset class. So, I, um, you know, it's, it's interesting that you asked that. I, I haven't been in Bitcoin that long. I'm not an OG. Um, for me, it, it and really, what's an OG, uh, <laughs> original gangster. We're, like know, first off, first off for the <laughs> record, I don't know what OG means. But. Um, so I would say somebody who's been in the crypto or, you know, owned Bitcoin for five, six, seven plus years. I mean, you know, it's, it's around 13 years old. Okay. Um, hardly anybody owned it initially. But um, so for my first kind of introduction, I would say was uh, March of 2020, right? We saw, we saw that massive crash. Yep. And what was so interesting about that, I thought, was you really saw that broadly across all, all markets, right? So it really didn't matter the asset class. Nothing was really safe. It was like equity sold off, precious metal sold off, cryptocurrency sold off. It didn't really matter what market segment you were in the, real, um, uh, excuse me, the equities market. Like it just sold off. Right. And so, um, and then of course, everything started rocketing back after basically the third week of March. Um, and all economic indications of like where, you know, the, the, the actually main street economy was looked terrible still. And so what was really fundamentally the reason for that? And one of the big things that I looked at and I saw, I came across a chart that had um, M2 monetary supply and you saw that they essentially started to massively inflate the currency. And so that then, then you saw really what people have referred to as the K-shaped recovery, right? Where uh, scarce assets started to move up uh, demonstrably in in value while kind of the economy was still in a terrible place oh, yeah. so, so when you're talking about you know scarce asset i mean this is again a stupid question but yeah yeah I, I don't you know what i'm, I'm used to have asking stupid questions yeah, yeah. so you're talking about you know when, when, when back then you know the lumbers prices were skyrocketing yeah. they, they, certain things that you never thought they, they, those prices are skyrocketing yeah yeah and and uh 
I would say in the short term, so I would say this, broadly speaking, inflation, which is, um, you know, a decrease in, in purchasing power, and this is what we're going to get into in a second, yeah. is, is primarily driven due to expansion in monetary supply. It, it, it's, it's driven by, um, you know, the Federal Reserve printing right. dollars. That, right. That's what happens. And that's just econ economics 101, right? You have more dollars chasing fewer goods and services, therefore... Um, you know, on a nominal basis, things go up in price. Okay. And, and, and so more recently, there has been other factors. Supply chain is, is a real thing. But, you know, also, I mean, they printed 40% of the, the the dollars that exist today were printed in the last 18 months. Yeah, I, I, mean, I saw that yesterday. Massive numbers, you know. It's insane. But, um, so, so, you know, what I would say is it, that happened in 2020. And as I kind of, to finish up my introduction here, um, I started looking at what assets I wanted to you know, put our family's wealth into. Okay. And so I was looking at kind of broadly across the board, precious metals, gold versus silver. And like, do I put tech stocks or, you know, maybe buy more rental properties. And I came across Bitcoin and I think just like 99% of the population, I said, oh, that's made up internet money. Yeah. Kind of moved down the road. But then I thought to myself, here's a, um, a massive asset class with, which has had, you know, it's been around for over 10 years and I don't know anything about it. Okay. And so what I told myself is I'm, I'm going to put a hundred hours on the clock. Um, I'm going to order a bunch of books. I'm going to start looking at through some curated podcasts, reach a bunch of research articles, and I'm going to try to figure out what I can about this. And by the end of the hundred hours, it wasn't like, wow, this is kind of a neat thing. It was like, Bitcoin is going to change the world. Like my whole worldview changed. And I realized like how incredible an asset class this is. And what sort of first order and second order, third order effects that this is going to have on us? See, that's see, that's interesting because you know the people that do understand Bitcoin that can speak to it and all that stuff, there is that belief yeah. that that it will change kind of the world and all that stuff. And and for someone like me, you know, sitting over here, it's like first off, I don't know how, I don't know right. how that's going to happen or what its impact is going to have towards economies or to, to the individual purchasing power. And I don't know, so I I'm hesitant to yeah. have those conversations just because I don't know shit. You know what I mean? And, yeah. that, and that's, and that's the truth. So I'm, I'm, I'm really like, really liking that. So was there one source of a, 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 a whether it's a book or whether it's yeah. a YouTube thing that you found kind of be the most, um, uh, provide the most information or value, uh, for you? Yeah. I, I think if you're a, um, a newbie and you're, you're, you want to dedicate a little bit of time to learning about this, there's a book called the Bitcoin standard, uh, by a guy named safety and moose. And, uh, an absolutely incredible book. The guy, talks about money from a historical context and talks about what what gave you know what monies plural have existed throughout history and what properties gave them value so he, okay he kind of builds um kind of a foundation for what has historically existed in the free market and what won ultimately in the free market was gold yeah right and so for thousands of years humanity settled on gold as money and it's because it had certain properties, right? It had divisibility, it had fungibility, it had uh, portability, it had um, divisibility, scarcity, which is the scarcity. most important one. And then he says, well, let's take a look at all those properties and compare it to Bitcoin. And so it's a really, really great introduction. It's very much rooted in what is hard money. Um, but ultimately what he finds and what I arrived to as well is like, Gold is not the solution. It can't. It cannot be a solution in our digital economy. Bitcoin beats gold in every one of these properties. So it is clearly going to be the category winner. And it's one of those things too. It's like it's. I, I feel like this is 
whether, and I was worried about having this conversation now because it's like, is this, am I, am I behind the boat? Am yeah. I, you know, am I, am I too, are we at a point right now having this conversation silly and all this stuff? But at the same time, it's not because you said this is kind of like a 1994 situation. Like we're, we're, we're not too far. Right. Uh, we're, things aren't f- so far progressed where people will be left behind if, they, if they're not learning about it. Yeah. And so that's a really key thing to take away for the audience is um, everyone thinks they're way, they're too late on Bitcoin. Yeah. Right. Oh God, it's already, you know, $50,000. Like, um, and the reality is we are so early. We are in the early adopter stage of Bitcoin. And and so what's really interesting, I saw this, this chart the other day, it was really illuminating, was the author uh, plotted up the um, users, the participants in the internet over time, and then plotted up the the participants in kind of the, the Bitcoin monetary network as it stands today. And for a comparison basis, we're like where the internet was in 1994, 1994, 1995, I think. And what was funny is if you go back and look at, you know, newscasters and, and, and TV shows of the internet in those days, they were like, what is email? What is this World Wide Web? That's a fad. Yeah, that's what, a fad. What, <laughs> who, who needs that? No, yeah, I, I, you, you see a lot. You see a lot of those clips now, whether it's you know from Chandler, from Friends, and all that stuff. Like, how could they ever think something so silly and all that stuff? Exactly. And then the next thing you know, it. it's like it's literally you're not going to go a day without using the internet somewhat. A hundred percent agree, and and that's where we are, and you really see that reflected in today. I mean, you you see people on new, newscasters now, and they're talking about, it and they're like. Yeah, Bitcoin's just a tulip bubble. You know, that, that's like the classic yeah. comparison. And they just don't get it. And and I'm I would argue that, you know, in five, ten years from now, um, we are we we will be looking back at those clips and going, La- how, how did we how not, the hell laughing? How did they not get that? Okay. So I'll tell you what, you have you you yeah. you're a structured engineer. You have your your ducks in a row, you got your stuff together. That's yeah. one thing about you. You got your shit together. So starting off right now, how are we gonna frame this conversation? Yeah, yeah, great question. So um, there, there's tons of different ways that you can talk about Bitcoin. People try, attempt to explain it. And where I think a lot of people go wrong is they get hyper-technical really quickly, okay. right? They, they, they talk about, well, here's the technical aspects of the protocol and the security. And, and what I want to do is completely avoid going hyper-technical. Thank I you. want to explain it, as you said, but like, like I would explain it to like a five-year-old or a 10-year-old, right? Yeah. And so what I want to provide today is a, fr- a framework uh, for people to understand, hopefully broad enough to where a millennial, uh, to, you know, a a boomer boomer, could get it and go, yeah, I I understand that. But the question we're really trying to answer today is like, what is the value proposition to Bitcoin? Okay. Right. Why would I, why would I invest uh, my hard earned money, my capital into this asset class? And not only that, why would I want to take the hundred hours or take the 50 hours where that is and invest my time to learn about this? Exactly. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm going to kind of walk through this. Um, okay. The first thing I'll say is it's really hard to understand um, the value proposition of Bitcoin without first recognizing how broken the current monetary system is. So real quick, again, when you say value proposition, what does that mean? Um, why Bitcoin is valuable, right? Okay. Like, what, what gives Bitcoin value? Okay. Kind of that, that, that simple fundamental layer, like level one question. Um. And so I'll, I'll start out by saying um, and, and going through a concept that I really wish I knew like 10 years ago, right? Um, and that is kind of talking about uh, fiat money. And so everybody always talks about things getting more expensive and you feel that, yeah, yeah. right? And, and you say things like, man, you know, 
back when my grandparents were my age, they could buy a loaf of bread for 15 cents and they bought their first house for $25,000. And so there's this thought that things are getting more expensive, but that's a completely incorrect framing of it. Things aren't getting more expensive. And to put an example, like a loaf of bread isn't more difficult to manufacture now than it was 50 years ago. In fact, it's probably probably a lot cheaper, right? Um, So things aren't getting more expensive. The purchasing power of dollars is eroding away year after year after year. And that's really the framework that you need to have. My dollars are becoming less valuable next year, the year after that, the year after that. The only constant over the last like you know, since 1913, since the central bank was established, basically, is that the purchasing power of the dollar has eroded. And to quantify that statement, it's eroded like 95%. Damn. It's, it's absolutely wild. And, and what, so, causes, what causes that erosion? So it's inflation, right? And so you, you look at it and you say, well, everyone kind of says, according to CPI, base inflation is, call it 2 to 3%. Well, even at those low rates, 2 to 3% compounded over time. Yeah. It, it, you know, it magnifies. And so that's the monetary um, system that we live in today. And so the government's created something where its citizens have to work exponentially harder to earn a currency that's growing exponentially weaker. So work harder, make less. Work harder and, and, and store your time, store your effort, store your, you know, your energy into something that's just depreciating in value. And right. And so as Michael Saylor would say, it's just a road to serfdom. It just doesn't make sense. And so what you have is um, you have this huge network. These are kind of like a secondary effects that that are created. And people are looking for other places to store their dollars. Right. right? And so you have all these massive, massive um, asset classes, you know, like I mentioned, commodity, real estate, precious metals. And all they're really trying to do is they're trying to satisfy the need. And what's the need is to maintain my purchasing power. Okay. Right. I just want to make sure that when I make, um, you know, if I make $50,000 this year, I want to have $50,000 of purchasing power next year. Right. Right. You know, you don't want, you don't want, you don't want to work the same amount and have $47,000 worth of purchasing power. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. So, so that's the system that we're in. Right. And so, um, uh, as we talk about Bitcoin, um, we're really going to talk about it today as an asset. Okay. okay. So the first thing to understand about Bitcoin is it's really two things. Bitcoin is an asset and Bitcoin is a network. Okay. Um, individually, uh, those things both have long-term tremendous value implications for the betterment of society. That's kind of like a whole nother broad topic. But for the listeners we're talking today, um, really the question is the value proposition of Bitcoin. So we're focusing on Bitcoin as an asset, okay. as an asset class. Okay. Um, so in regards to value propositions, when you, when you look at different asset classes, there's, there's a few different categories you can look at things. Um, and I would say that there's kind of three main ones in my head. You have things that have intrinsic value, things that have utility value and things that have monetary. Value. Okay. So give me some examples of yeah. all of those, if you don't mind. So, um, intrinsic value, the definition is a bit all over the place and it's, it's uh, very, very subjective, but I, I like Vanek, which is an investment group's um, definition of intrinsic value, and they define it in a financial sense. And things that have intrinsic value have a yield to them. Okay. Right. Okay. And so you think about like that. It's like, well, examples would be dividend stocks. They have a yield. Right. Um, loans. Loans have a yield. 
uh, rental properties have a yield and like oil wells, like in our industry, right. right? Oil and gas wells have a yield. And the things with intrinsic value that things that have yield are actually really easy to quantify what the future value is going to be, right? I have a projected future cash flow. I discounted at, you know, a certain rate. And then I, all of a sudden I can do you know, net present value, IRR, present value index. I can do all these economic metrics. By to, putting in some source of things and it just pumps it out through an algorithm and boom, you, you know the value. Exactly. You, it's, it's, it's very easy to quantify. Okay. Okay. So, so that's, those are kind of things with intrinsic value and, and people understand those a lot because they can agree on kind of out the economic yardsticks, if you will. Okay. And then you have a bunch of things with uh, utility value, right? And so these are, these are kind of like, uh, I would think of it as kind of like industry value, right? So things like aluminum, right? You're not really storing your wealth in aluminum, but you can't make an airplane without, without aluminum, it. Without right? it. Correct, correct. So it has like industrial use cases. Okay. Um, well, Bitcoin is neither of those. Bitcoin's kind of in the third category, which are things with monetary value or what, what some textbooks would call monetary premium. And what's interesting about things that, that fall in this category is they, they provide no yield, right? So they're really hard to kind of quantify the value. But there's a ton of things in the world, and I mean hundreds of trillions of dollars of things that have monetary value, okay? All currencies, right. just, they just have monetary value, right? right? Like, so if you think about that, they have no yield. They're not providing you like a, a yield unless you lend them out. But um, they have no in industry value. They just have monetary yeah. value. Um, other things are uh, precious art has monetary value, exotic vehicles, and uh, precious metals, gold has monetary value, and Bitcoin. Bitcoin is in this category as well. Okay. So the interesting thing about things with monetary value, which, which again, Bitcoin falls into, is um, the value of them is primarily driven by scarcity. And I'm going to provide you kind of two examples here. The first is, if you think about like, you know, precious art per se, um, uh, the Monet is priceless. Right. Because there's only one in the world. Uh, but a Picasso, well, that might be worth $10 million because there might be about half a dozen of them floating around for sale at any right. point in time. But a print of a Picasso, well, that's worth like $100 because there's 10,000 yeah. prints. Yeah. So things with monetary value are driven by scarcity. The more scarce it is, the, the more valuable Correct. it is. And so th that's kind of an odd example. But the second example is a little bit more uh, easy to understand. Let's say you are a nation state, let's say Venezuela, and your currency has a monetary value, but uh, the central bank decides to double and triple and quadruple. They decide to massively inflate the currency. Well, what you're essentially doing there is you're taking something with monetary value and you are drastically driving down the scarcity. Yeah. And okay. that's why the nominal value of the, the currency, right? decreases. That's so why it's 400 bucks to get a loaf of bread. That's exactly right. They've right. hyperinflated the currency. Right. Because they have they have driven They've devalued it but because that 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 one current that $1 bill whatever the they, they have that's based on a yep. unit of gold or whatever that is. Whatever whatever it's based upon. However you print out more right. cash. I mean that's it, it's not it doesn't correlate anymore. It's kind of it loses its value, purchasing power yeah. or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I mean you're you're basically taking what was what was a certain finite amount of currency and you have 10x'd it. So everything in relation to that, right? When currency is abundant, by relation everything else is more scarce. When currency is abundant, everything else is more. Okay. All right. I'm right. with you. So so those are things with monetary value. So the, the cool thing about items with monetary value is 
Um, they're really kind of driven by supply and demand dynamics. <clears throat> well, so that's kind of the super simple framework. So if we say Bitcoin has monetary value, we say monetary value is driven by supply demand dynamics. Well, let's explore those dynamics for Bitcoin. All right. So from a supply perspective, Bitcoin is incredibly unique. It's like nothing we've ever had. Um, firstly, uh, the supply issuance curve of Bitcoin is completely inelastic. That means that nothing we do will change that. Not okay. for the next year, 10 years, 100 years. Okay. It's known. And it's, it's, it's hard-coded into the protocol. So it can't be changed by an individual. Um, that's incredibly interesting. Because like most other asset classes, as uh, the, the price moves up, the supply will move up accordingly. Okay. So like if the price of gold went to $20,000 an ounce tomorrow. Right. Well, I mean, people would be melting down <laughs> their crowns yeah. and their teeth. I'd be getting rid of some of my wife's jewelry. Wedding rings and all that stuff. Right. And right. the gold miners, yeah. they'd be showing up to work at 5 a.m. and they'd be leaving at 9 p.m., right? So the supply of gold would move up accordingly. Okay. Right? Because it has that elasticity. Okay. Bitcoin, even if the price went ballistic and the price of Bitcoin went to $500,000 tomorrow, next week, next month, the supply is limited. Limited. And it's, so how, so if this is a cryptocurrency and obviously I mean, you yeah. might have to get into what, what a cryptocurrency actually is. Yeah. Um, because to me, it, it, it's, it's a very difficult thing to wrap my brain around this. And, and I'll be, yeah, it's, it's for me, it's, tangible you know what i mean like this is you know one dollar you know yeah. this i can hold this in my hand i can go to the store i can pay this and all this stuff however bitcoin i mean the fact that it's such a it's a finite supply yeah. right um there's only a certain amount that we're going to get yeah. right my question is what the hell is it <laughs> yeah so um that that's kind of an a lot of people um especially older people no offense jp i'm not you know they have a lot of they have a lot of problem because it, bitcoin isn't tangible right right but but in reality, the first thing I would say is that um, the, the majority of like what we consider our wealth today, like if I look at my net worth statement, that's not tangible either. I'm literally going to wellsfargo.com, logging in, looking at my bank account. Going yeah, to how often do I really carry cash too? So I'm, yeah. Yeah. So, so first and foremost, like I would say that probably for most individuals, like now over 90% of your net worth is intangible. Okay. You know, besides from maybe like, the house that you're living in. Right. Right. I mean, well, but, um, so that's, that's the first thing we're, we're moving to a digital world. Right? right. Um, and so, so Bitcoin is a purely digital token. That's, that's absolutely true. Um, the, the reason Bitcoin is different than other cryptocurrencies, and this is like a whole nother rabbit trail, but it's because, um, it relies on a proof of work system, which, whereby miners have to use real-world energy costs in order to create a Bitcoin. So okay. there's a... Go on yeah, about yeah. that. Let's peel that. Let's peel that <laughs> layer because, I mean, you know, we're talking about this, we're talking about this, you know, non-tangible thing, but yet you're seeing the, these Bitcoin fields pop up with, with miners. these miners yeah. pop up and all this stuff. And, and it's actually... Well, let's get into that in a little bit, but I mean, so if it's digital, right? Yeah. yeah how is it finite? I don't understand that. Okay, so... Um, the protocol is written and it's immutable, right? The code is that there is a certain supply issuance of Bitcoin. And once that supply issuance is, is dealt out, which is total cap of 21 million Bitcoin, 
there can never be any more created. Why not? It's it's hard coded into the protocol, right? What's what's the protocol? Uh, the Bitcoin protocol is the set of I would say like computational uh, the the code written that determines how bitcoins are uh, generated and how they're dispersed amongst miners. So no one can change that code five, 10 years down the road or anything like that? So people have tried. And in fact, uh, what's this is going to get a little bit more technical than I want to. But if you wanted to change the code to Bitcoin, you could hard fork it. You could, you could copy the source code and fork it into another coin. But the original Bitcoin would continue to exist. You're just kind of creating a derivative off the chain. A little clone. Okay. And, and this happened actually several times in 2017. There was a lot of people who wanted slightly different properties to Bitcoin, uh, one of which was they wanted to increase the block size. And so Bitcoin continued to be Bitcoin. Like Bitcoin hasn't changed in like 13 years. Right. But there were all these, these derivative coins that were um, created, right? Bitcoin SV, Litecoin. Um, and, and these coins ended up just completely failing compared to Bitcoin because Bitcoin has achieved the network effects already, right? And, and what I would, the, the easy kind of example I would give to you is, let's say tomorrow you were to make a quote, better Facebook, right? You coded a better Facebook and it had, you know, Twitter integration and, and Twitch integration and all these things. Okay. And you said, these are, there are, these are technical attributes that make this network better than right. Facebook. Nobody would care, JP, because there's already a billion people on Facebook. So network effects matter. So you're not going to create a need, pretty much. You're not going to create a demand. It's going to be a, it's going to be a, 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 a tangent. You know, it's yeah. going to be nice to have, but yeah. no, no one's really going to kind of flock to that because they already have their, they already have their, their base. That's right. Okay, that's I'm right. Ready. That's a good and, analogy. And, and so you know that that's one kind of key component mm -hmm. of of Bitcoin versus the cryptocurrency sphere. You know, it's like. The cryptocurrency sphere is, is pretty massive. Um, you know, I think today there's over 10,000 different cryptocurrencies. Crypto, yeah. uh, Bitcoin today holds the, the vast majority of the market share mm -hmm. of the entire uh, kind of ecosystem. And so it's, it's achieved that network effect. You know, and so people are always distracted by this coin or that coin or this coin. But in reality, when you look at the big players who are entering um, the ecosystem, like the hedge funds, and these massive organizations that are making allocations of publicly traded yeah, companies that are putting you're reserves, that. they're not they're not going out and they're not buying these small coins. They're not going and buying Ethereum or Cardano or barbecue Doge chicken coin, coin, whatever. Yeah, they're they're buying Bitcoin. Yeah, right. And so so Bitcoin is is different than all these other uh, current uh, these cryptocurrencies. Um, but let me get back before we go down that. Okay, rabbit trail okay, too much. okay. Um, I feel like there's a lot to go down, which is fine. But yeah, <laughs> let's let's stick to this because I mean I probably have a yeah shit ton of questions to ask about this so let's just stick to this and let's go from there okay okay so so we we kind of left off and said you know bitcoin is unique because its supply dynamics are unique okay right so um if you think about how truly unique that is it's like i don't know how many dollars are going to exist next month right it depends on what the federal reserve and, and they're 13 and they're changing people. Yeah. yeah so so it's like i can't even tell you with certainty how many dollars are going to exist next week or next month or next year, but I can tell you with 100% mathematical certainty how many Bitcoin is going to exist in 100 years. So that's an incredibly powerful statement because the supply side you is know. known. You know the it's, supply. It's known. Okay. So you know how much gold is there. So you know what the, the 
right? Or, or yeah, with, with Bitcoin, yeah. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean, though. I mean, I mean, you kind of understand that. So you know the supply. 100% gotcha. certainty. So, so tying that back, if this asset class is monetary value, and monetary value is ultimately supply demand dynamics, and I'm telling if you get your head around the supply is known, the supply issuance rate is known. Right. Then really, if you're making an allocation to Bitcoin, you're making an allocation that the demand of Bitcoin will increase over time. Okay. Right? Yeah. I mean, I mean half the equation buy is low known. And you'll write it up. Right. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> the first thing I want uh, listeners to, to really get their head around is, um, and you hear people say it and to say like, I'm, I'm late to Bitcoin. And I think what that is a reflection of is um, unit price bias. Right. So the price of Bitcoin is $50,000. It just seems expensive. Yes. Right. It seems like I'm late. Yeah. Um, but what I'd like to the, the listeners to really kind of reframe that and to think about is when you're investing in something, whether it's uh, uh, an asset, a business, a commodity, whatever it is, what you're really looking at is what the really the question you want to answer is what is the current market cap and what is the addressable market cap? Right. What's it worth today and what's it going after? Okay. 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 And so um, today, Bitcoin's worth about a trillion dollars in total market cap. And so let's, let's take a look at um, some other asset classes that are trying to solve the same problem. And the problem, like I mentioned before, is I just want to preserve my purchasing power. So, okay. So we always hear about this problem. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The, the Bitcoin fixes. Bitcoin fixes. Oh. So we're t- <laughs> we're gonna, we'll get into that a little bit. Here's the deal. So this problem that we're discussing, this, yeah. th- this problem that Bitcoin fixes is pretty much an individual's purchase power, maintaining that purchase power. Yeah, that's like that's like the first order effect of it. Okay, so so that's so when people talk about the problems that Bitcoin fixes and all stuff, that that to me, I, I'm learning yeah. this. So it's pretty much to maintain your purchase power. To yeah, main- yeah. And, and 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 I would say that the first order effect of of Bitcoin as a, as a consumer, as somebody who's looking to store their values, right. is I, I'm, that's the problem I'm looking to solve. Now there are second order derivative effects to Bitcoin that when people use that phrase more broadly, I think that's what they're referring to. Yeah. Which that's a whole nother rabbit trail. But, uh, but, but, but the problem it's solved right now is, is to maintain your, your purchase power. That's exactly gotcha. right. Gotcha. Okay. That's exactly All right. right. Good. And so, <clears throat> so you're, you look at it and you say, well, okay, Bitcoin's worth a trillion dollars. Well, what are other things, other asset classes that are trying to solve this problem? This preservation of purchasing power. Okay. okay? Let's take a look at a few of them. Gold. Gold today, which is like the longest standing quote unquote right. inflation hedge. Well, that's worth $11 trillion. Okay. Uh, cars, exotic cars, fine art, things like that, collectibles are worth about $22 trillion. Uh, equity markets today, about $100 trillion. Real estate, about $230 trillion. Uh, bonds, right? People put used to put their money yeah, in bonds. Yeah. That's about $250 trillion. Okay. So you look at all that, you add it all up, and you say, well, the addressable market cap for places that people are trying to put their money to preserve purchase power, it's like over $600 trillion. Right. Okay. And I'm telling you over here that Bitcoin's $1 trillion. So you have an asset class that's worth one going after 600 Okay. So it's tiny. It has an absolute, you know, infinitesimal penetration rate into this market. Okay. And that's what, so if you, you look at that and you say, well, what if Bitcoin captured 1% market share? Well, that's... $327,000 Bitcoin. And with the supply dynamics at play, it's probably a lot more. Okay. So that that's really one huge takeaway for listeners. It's you're not early 
if Bitcoin can capture a small market share of any of these other things that I'm talking about, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars per Bitcoin in price. Okay. Right. So it's tiny. Um, but what's interesting about Bitcoin is it actually has unique properties that in some ways make it a lot better than a lot of these other assets. Okay. Okay. And so as an example, like if you are an asset out, uh, a hedge fund manager and you're looking at allocate a hundred million dollars, right? So we're kind of like broadening it out to more institutional mm-hmm. level people. Well, you look at it and you say, well, what do I want to put a hundred million dollars into gold? Well, not really, right? Gold has had an awful 10-year performance. It's got a tremendous amount of counterparty risk. You have to trust to hold the gold. It's got tons of cost with storage and tons of cost with transportability, right? Pirates. Okay. Yeah. Not really. <laughs> not really ideal. And then you say cars, fine art. Well, the problem with that as a hedge fund manager is well, you can't really dive into that market. And also there's ongoing maintenance costs with those. Right. Um, equity markets, well, that's good. Traditionally, the, the big allocations there, but you are buying at like massive, high, massively high valuations. Uh, real estate, huge problems with fungibility and liquidity. You know, and then bonds. The problem is, you got two hundred fifty trillion dollars worth of of, of uh, dollars in bonds that are all yielding a negative real yield or a real uh, nominal yield. It's absolutely ridiculous. So um, that that's that's what I would say. It's like. I'm actually in the camp that I'm bullish enough to say, I don't think Bitcoin takes a 1% market allocation. I think realistically, you're looking at a 5-10% market allocation. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Right? And so <clears throat> that, that's the first key concept to realize is you're very early. Bitcoin has a tiny market penetration into this bigger asset class of you know, solving this problem like we're talking about. You know, what are my inflation hedges? So, so, so I'm, I'm sorry. So you're kind of, and look, and this obviously, I love the fact that you're explaining this, but kind of what I'm learning is like, look, just kind of like whether it's, let's say I have, you know, this X amount of money to put in one of these asset classes yep. or whatever you're talking about. Um, and I'm like, ah, I like real estate. I'll put it in there. Ah, I like this. Yeah. I guess, I guess it's kind of refreshing to hear that. It's like, look, yes. I mean, it's, 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 you don't really have. Okay, you don't have to know the technical side of Bitcoin. You don't have to dive in to right. learn about XYZ, blockchain, da, 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 whatever all that stuff is. In reality, it's just it's it's learning about uh, Bitcoin and how it is an asset class, how it's a limited supply and all that stuff. And, yeah. and so in reality, you don't have to really nerd up or understand too much Absolutely on Bitcoin. Not. It's just you just have to accept. And that's the thing, though. I guarantee if I'm putting my money in real estate or if I'm putting my money in XYZ, I don't, I'm not going to know much about those um, industries or asset classes, if you will. So how is Bitcoin different? It's really not. It's not. It's not. It's not. I mean, ultimately, if you're making an allocation to this, you just have to understand if you're making an allocation to Bitcoin, um, you don't have to learn about the blockchain or the technology. You're exactly right. All you have to kind of get your head around, that's what I'm trying to get to, is I'm making a bet that the demand of Bitcoin will increase over the next year five years, 10 years. Plus. You don't need to know the algorithms. You don't need to know the mining. No. You don't need to know this. You just have to make the bet that, it, and it, pretty much what we're seeing historically is that it's happening. It's happening. It's happening. Well, and, and that brings me to my second aspect of, of, of Bitcoin. And that is 2020 was, I, I think, excuse me, kind of a pivotal moment for Bitcoin. We saw a massive shift in the investor base. And so if you look at historically Bitcoin, around like i mentioned you know for about 12 years and the vast majority of its life it's just been owned by retail investors okay right 
Um, but because of the macro environment that we're in and this kind of unlimited uh, monetary expansion that we're seeing from the Federal Reserve, right. um, what you're seeing is major players are looking for places to allocate, right? <clears throat> yes. And so unless you're really paying attention, it's easy to miss how this entrenchment is already happening kind of across the board. And so if you look at it, you say, well, who are some notable individuals that hold a material amount of Bitcoin? Well, Elon Musk, right? Right. Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple. Right. Uh, Ray Dalio, Jack Dorsey, Catherine Woods, Paul Tudor Jones, Raul Paul. I mean, these are anywhere from like leaders in the industry to multi-billionaires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're making allocations to Bitcoin. And then you say, well, okay, what about maybe publicly traded companies? Well, we've heard about Tesla and obviously MicroStrategy. But right now, there's like, I think it's the numbers to 28 publicly traded companies that are holding Bitcoin on their balance sheet instead of cash, right? Okay. That's amazing. So it's moving into the public sector. Yeah. It's, it's not just a, a group behind their computer chanting it on. It's actually taking more of the, the, the whatever, whatever you call it. What am I thinking? Well, about? like the professional investors yes, are starting professional to make investors, allocations. Yeah. And, yes. and, and then you say, well, what about organizations, right? Well, the Guggenheim, right? They made a $500 million acquisition of Bitcoin last year. And then you have uh, Massachusetts Mutual, the, the oldest insurance company in the United States. They bought, I think it was a 50 or $100 million worth of Bitcoin. The um, Houston Firefighters Pension Fund. They decided to put some money into Bitcoin instead really? of cash. Yeah. And then, and then you look at it and you say, well, what about politically? Well, several politics have, uh, politicians have come out uh, and voiced their approval, their advocacy for Bitcoin. And as of like... A few weeks ago, it was pretty amazing. We had politicians from Texas, Wyoming, New York, and Florida all say, I'm going to take my paycheck in Bitcoin. So what's ha what you're seeing is this, this. And you're seeing some countries, too, kind of uh, start yeah. adopting it or accepting it. That's exactly right. Yeah. So uh, last year, we saw the first country, El Salvador, yes. make Bitcoin legal tender. So, you know, a lot of people, without really looking at the data, they're like, oh, Bitcoin is not doing anything, but in reality, you have um, public traded companies buying into it. You have politicians making allocations and you have nation states making it legal tender. It, it's like, it's incredible. So for people you know, that are sitting on the kind of the sideline or really not certain about it or how, how to invest, and obviously yeah. we're going to go down that later. Is this, is the potential there to kind of uh, split the classes a little bit more? I mean, to make more water apart, the, the haves and have nots because of lack of investing into a, a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin? Because, I mean, you have these, you know, you have these politicians, you got these, you know, Elon Musk, you know, pay me in Bitcoin and all that stuff. And there's a lot of people kind of that are still kind of haven't adopted or still don't understand it, that still haven't got on it. Yeah. Is it one of those things where it's like you better get on the bus? Otherwise, it's going to potentially kind of give you some negative ramifications down the road. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say None. negative ramifications per se. Um, I think the way to look at it is um, you will get rewarded for being an early adopter. Okay. And, and today we are still early adopters. And, and we're early adopters not because the price is $50,000, but because it's such a tiny asset class compared to what it could be. That really, that's the right framing and kind of mentally. Um, and so if you say... You know, and so if you ask me, like, David, what do you think the price of Bitcoin is going to be at 2030? With a straight face, I would say a million dollars or more. Right. I know that sounds just crazy, Dave, but that's also kind of saying, well, that's kind of a 
2% market penetration to these store value assets. And so if you think about like the, the, the old, uh, think about like the old uh, investment portfolio, right? You had this like pie. Sh- yeah, the pie, pie chart. Right. And it's like, you know, a certain percentage of large cap, certain percentage of small caps, like 30% bonds, 10% cash, maybe five, 10% international stocks, right? So you had this pie chart. Right. And you look at that and you're like, God, if I'm, if I'm Schwab right now, am I really recommending a, a bond to somebody? Like the 10-year treasury bond right now is 1.5% and inflation is 7%. That makes no, yeah. Yeah, it's like you, what you're doing is you're locking in your customer to get a guaranteed loss of 5.5%. It's, yeah. it's ridiculous. And they're making money off of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what I'm saying is you had this traditional kind of allocation schedule that used to work. And now it, it doesn't. I mean, you have like 20 to 30% of that pie that I got to put it in something else. Right. And, and so you look at it across the board and what I'm thinking and what I, what I think is going to happen is that fund managers will more and more make that allocation to Bitcoin as it, as it uh, you know, continues to go mainstream. Do you see Bitcoin kind of being a transactional type of currency or is, that, is it more of a, a kind of a, a maintain, your, maintain and increase your purchasing power? Yeah, that, that's a really great question. Thank um, you. That's great questions here on Energy <laughs> Crew. Year to year. So um, if you look at money from a historical context, money tends to follow a certain path, right? So monies first develop as uh, kind of collectibles. Okay. Okay. And then they, then they move, they transition into stores of value. Okay. And then... Eventually, they move to a medium of exchange once enough market participants recognize right. the money. Which you're seeing in El Salvador, and all. I'm, I'm sure you're seeing yep. a lot of the countries that are adopting. I'm sure those are kind of transactional now. Exactly right. And then ultimately, once it's achieved network effects, money moves into the fourth phase, which is unit of account, where we just think about things in dollars, right? So dollars is a unit of account. Gotcha. Like, so if I say, you know, that my car is fifty thousand dollars or fifty thousand, you you know, it's dollars. I know it's bucks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, fifty thousand. Yeah. I got it. So, so what's, what you're seeing right now in real time is Bitcoin is moving through that transition phase, right? It started as a digital collectible. It was nerd money, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Worth I, nothing. I remember you see all these tweets now. You have some, oh, if I didn't pay for that pizza in Bitcoin, yeah. I have, you know, 13.2, whatever that yeah. is. Yeah. And, and so it started as a digital collectible. It's moving to a store of value. We are starting to see hints of it being a medium of exchange like El Salvador. And so this is one of those things too, which is fascinating too. This is kind of a global currency. It is a global currency. This isn't one of those things where if you cross a border or anything like that, it's a different type of uh, exchange rate or anything like that. The, 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 the global market, and we might be going kind of down the road off, off your points, but it's pretty much one of those things where it's, it. it's a That's global, right. um, it's, it's not, it doesn't stop at a border. That's exactly right. Um, and so, there, there will be several people that scoff at this, but <clears throat> I've, I get the question before I've gotten it is, do you think Bitcoin will become a uh, reserve currency of the world? And I absolutely do. Um, but but okay. it's a bit of a nuanced answer um, because really, um, if you live in a sovereign nation, your reserve currency is kind of like what you think of as your unit of account is that nation's currency. Okay. Um, we're American, so we think in dollars, yep. uh, Europeans in, in euros, et cetera. Um, but yeah, so the, currently the, the the dollar is the global reserve currency, right? That was established in Bretton Woods, uh, 1944, I believe. 44, um, right. And so, but when I think of Bitcoin as the world reserve currency, I, I think of it in a different way. So 
if I were to say, JP, what's the world's biggest economy, right? You'd say, well, the U.S. economy. And maybe some people say, well, the China, China, China whatever. Yeah. So I actually don't think, I think the digital economy is the world's greatest economy. And that's the the internet of value. The, the total, the, the internet right. is, the, is the world's greatest economy, okay. right? If you think about how much value is stored, transacted, created, generated, it's the internet. Yeah. It's more than anything else. Right. And so you think about it, and what I think Bitcoin will be is the native currency of the internet. Not necessarily the native currency of a sovereign nation, but of the internet itself, which okay. is the greatest kind of economy on the globe. But there's ties in too, though. I mean, were you done? Were you done? Because I was about to. Well, well, let me say yeah. one more point. Um, if you think that can't happen, this is what I would argue is, well, what is the internet? The internet is a, it's an open sourced protocol, right? It's TCP IP. If you want to join the internet, here's the protocol to join. It's permissionless. It's borderless. It's non-sovereign and it's a set protocol. Well, what's Bitcoin? It's permissionless. It's borderless. It's non-sovereign and it's a set protocol. So it's very similar. It was like custom built for the internet. Okay. So here's, here's what I'm going to throw in. Uh, I dig it. Look, I'm digging it. I'm, I, I'm digging the whole, the fact that it's the people's currency. It's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's going to be the global currency, the internet uh, currency and all that stuff. But here's the deal. <clears throat> when internet's restricted, right? Um, sure. When, um, when, when uh, I don't think you're going to have people moving wealth around without politicians getting involved and putting their fat, greedy fingers in the mix. I don't think you're going to get, um, <clears throat> I don't think with wealth, wealth moving around like that, whether it's cross borders or whatever that looks like, you're not going to have the powers to be uh, who, you know, uh, start salivate, salivating over that and want, want to get a piece of the pie. Sure. How do you see kind of, if this does kind of win it, I guess it, Currently, um, do you see uh, any, whether it's reg regulatory bodies or government bodies or federal or anything like that, kind of derailing this or kind of, uh, or literally just kind of messing it up, like kind of getting in there and kind of, you know. Yeah, uh, that, that's again, like a really good um, point of contention for a lot of people is the the whole, like the government will stop it or shut it down. Yeah. And, and so right now um, there was a, um, a court ruling in 2014, then Bitcoin right now is, is, is treated as property, right? So that's how, that's how it's taxed. So if you transact in and out of Bitcoin, if you transact in, you have to get your unit cost basis. If you transact out, you have to pay capital gains on it. Okay. Just like you do a stock, just okay. like you do a piece of a house or whatever. Yeah. And that's really good because we have really strong property laws in the US. So that's good from a legitimacy of an asset class perspective, but it's bad because exactly right. If you transact in Bitcoin, um, it's a taxable event right now, um, except in El Salvador, right? So El Salvador is saying it's legal tender. When you move in, in and out of Bitcoin, it's not a taxable event. Okay. And I think uh, if you look at what's happening right now, there's about four other countries that are drafting up legislation to make Bitcoin legal tender. So where do you, where's the U.S. right now in this? Do you know? So we're really far behind. Yeah. Um, and and there's some really good reasons for, for why that's happening. And, and the, the way to answer that question is really to explore why El Salvador made Bitcoin legal tender, right? So it's kind of a, you're like small country, yeah. kind of a third world country. Why in the world would they do this? Why don't they even care about this? Well, it's pretty fascinating when you study it. So um, El Salvador, first, first and foremost is El Salvador doesn't have a native currency. They're, they're dollarized. Okay. They're a dollarized nation. I think since 2001. Um, and so what's happening in El Salvador is a few things. Number one, 
is as the United States is inflating its currency, right, and, and debasing its purchasing power, we are getting some benefit to that. We're able to redistribute some of that wealth and put it in social programs and, and checks to our citizens, whatnot. But if you're a dollarized nation, you don't get the benefits. You just get the cost of that, right? Okay. A decrease in purchasing power. Right. So it's like, that's not great. But another few interesting things about El Salvador in and of itself is the population is 70% unbanked. 70% of the population doesn't even have a bank account okay. in El Salvador. Okay. And 25% of the country's GDP relies on remittance payments. Well, what are remittance payments? So that's, that's basically where you have an El Salvadorian citizen go live in the United States. Uh, maybe he works a trade. Maybe he's doing whatever. And he's sending money back home. Okay. So if you sum total all that money being sent back to El Salvador from these El Salvadorian citizens worldwide, that makes up 25% of their economy. That's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And so the system that was currently in place is you had all these kind of third-party companies, very, very predatory companies like Western Union and whatnot, these gatekeepers, that they had to use as ways to move money into the country. Okay. And the problem with Western Union is if I'm sending you Western Union, I might send you $1,000. And you're like, $70 fee. I don't care. But if you're an El Salvadorian citizen and you're only able to send like 200 bucks, you know, every other week or something, $70. That's yeah. That's a really big deal. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's, that's life changing. So when they started to look at this, they were like, man, there's like 20 to 30% of the money that's not even coming in this country because it's being like eaten up by these third party yep. companies. Yep. So that was a huge issue for the country. And then the second thing is what also happened is because you had these brick and mortar Western unions, you had huge portions of the population driving out to these Western union spots or taking buses, not driving usually. And they became these huge hotbeds for crime. People get mugged out because you know, if somebody's leaving Carrying the Western cash. Union, they got a bunch of cash. They got, cash. they got a bunch of dollars. So what the president oh. of El Salvador did was he said, I'm going to solve all these problems at once. What he did was um, integrated Bitcoin as legal tender. And he's using Bitcoin not as an asset, right, but as a network. So that all they're doing is using Bitcoin to transact, to move dollars from the United States or other South American countries to Bitcoin with a zero, virtually zero marginal cost to move this dollar, you know, these dollars. So they're using Bitcoin. So they're, they're keeping more money in, in the country. Mm -hmm. They're not dealing with the, the crime walking out with a, with, a, with a pocket full of bills, yep. you know, um, and they are reducing the against the trend. So they're actually keeping and, more in the country. And, and everybody now has a, a, a Bitcoin bank account. Okay. Because the only thing you need for a Bitcoin bank account is a cell phone. Okay. You, don't, you don't need to be KYC. You don't need to have, you know, you don't need to have like a relationship with a Wells Fargo. All you need to interact with Bitcoin is a cell phone and internet. Connection. Okay. So he's like, yep. Solved the unbanked problem, solved the crime problem, solved the remittance problem, and our GDP is going to move up. What's been the result of them since they, they adopted what, six months ago, seven months ago, yeah, something few, like that? Yeah, a few months ago. They, they've got it rolled out. Um, what, 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 have you, are there any trends that we're seeing uh, from that? I mean, is it going well? Is it kind of there's some hiccups? Obviously, listen, I would, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would imagine that there's probably some kind of realignments or going back and kind of figuring some stuff out because it's such a new concept. It's such a absolutely, you know, hats off to that. You know, I, I love seeing you know, these jumps, these, 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 you know, taking the chance, rolling the dice on these new technologies or new concepts and all stuff. So are you, are we, is it going core and plan? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that, yeah, there was some technological hiccups with like the, the native app that they were using initially, but um, 
it remain. It's kind of a TBD thing. It's a huge like nation state level experiment. So everyone's watching. It seems to be going really well. There, there are I think Brazil, Argentina, Paraguay. They all have legislation being drafted to make Bitcoin legal tender because of the same reason. They don't necessarily want to use it as an asset. They want to use it as an infrastructure. They want to use it as rails to move money in and out of without the, yeah the country. You know. Um, and, and that's like a really big deal in third world countries. You know, a lot of people don't realize this, um, but there's over a billion people that are unbanked, like that they don't even have a bank account. Yeah. So they, they can't, they have no financial inclusivity to the world. To get a wire transfer or anything like that, right? Yeah. To, to, yeah. To either move anything. money or, or, yeah, exactly right. And so, so that is a huge, like a quote unquote, Bitcoin solves this problem is you're able to bank billions of people in the world like that's an incredible idea i guess my thing when i'm hearing this and my skepticism is that i have a lot of distrust for the government i have a lot yeah. of distrust for the banks um i me don't too. think they look yeah obviously um and i so to me it's like you know once you know i guess people start seeing just kind of like that show uh you know don't look up once people start seeing kind of the opportunity it's will they uh, pollute it and muck it up for the population for the people for the average consumer yeah, I, I mean that's that's the the beauty of Bitcoin is it's it's an open decentralized system that you can choose to opt into. You don't have to, but you can choose to opt into. And is there any is there any way that the government come in, come in and kind of put their fingers in? You know, I would argue that it it'd be, you know, shutting down Bitcoin would be about as hard as shutting down the internet. Okay, it's it's decentralized across the world. Um, it's it's very 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 difficult to okay. destroy. Um, in in and in fact we. This last year, we had a huge kind of black swan event happen in Bitcoin. Um, last year, as, as kind of the beginning of the year, there was like 60% or so of all the miners were in China, globally. Right, they were right, all in China. Right. China banned Bitcoin. They said all the miners have to get out. There's no transacting Bitcoin. They Why, shut it what down. What was the reason for banning Bitcoin? Uh, yeah, I think it's fundamentally a difference in how china operates versus what bitcoin represents so so bitcoin is a bitcoin is about self-sovereignty and freedom it's about um open financial network inclusivity and transparency china with its authoritarian regime is the exact opposite right of that. they want control they of want their people of the currency and so Bitcoin was an outlet for people to their citizens to escape so they wanted to shut that off so they were gaining uh, Accumulating wealth in non-traditional ways, non-ways that were controlled by the government. Exactly, people didn't need to lean on the government as much as they used to. That's why they shut it down. Exactly. I mean, okay. you, and you look at what's happening right now with China with their social credit system right now. Yeah. It, it, and 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 what they're rolling out as CBDC, central bank digital currencies, where the government will be able to manipulate actually the money in your bank account. I mean, it's absolutely so that wild. Sucks. You, go to bed, you go to bed with ten grand in your bank account. Next thing you know, you wake up the next morning, it's worth ten dollars. Yeah, yeah. Or, and, it's, you know, and it's not up to you; it's up to them. Yeah, it's like our, our facial recognition camera caught you at a protest. You've been fined five thousand dollars. It's now out of your bank account. Thank you very much. You can't even fight that. Okay, gone. That's yeah, that's scary. I mean, yeah, CBDCs. Uh, you know, it's a whole nother kind of a whole nother podcast to talk about kind of the potential negative ramifications of what that could bring, but. You know, Bitcoin is the antithesis of that. Bitcoin is saying like, hey, here is a set monetary standard that you can choose to participate in. You can choose to store your value in or you can choose to transact in. And nobody can change the rules, including you. Nobody can. It's computer code. So 
So, okay, let's, let's kind of get into uh, this. So, I mean, you, 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 on LinkedIn, I'm scrolling, you know, on Twitter, I'm scrolling all this stuff. And, you know, you see all these, you know, these, you know, in 2019 is a blank field in 2021. It's this, you know, this, this Bitcoin mining operation yeah. and all that stuff. Right. So can you kind of uh, talk to me about like what, I mean, I know there's a correlate correlation between oil and gas or natural gas yeah. and Bitcoin and all that stuff. Like, can you kind of walk me through the process on what mining quotes you're really not mining you're sitting there with a computer when i think of mine yeah. i think of going down and you know knocking against the knocking against the earth and kind of getting some materials and all that stuff this is not mining in its purest traditional Correct. form this is different can you talk to me about that yeah and this is a really hard thing to explain without being overly technical but yeah get there man um when so so when bitcoin was created as we've mentioned earlier it's it's a purely natively digital token okay and the problem with um digital tokens whatever they might be is there's usually a zero cost for marginal production right it doesn't it doesn't cost anything like it, in other words like to put it in the nft world which is like the opposite of, of there's very different from this but if you wanted to control c and control v of an image on your computer yeah it's zero marginal cost right, right? control t v, v, yeah. v, 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 boom and so the problem with with creating a digital asset is is if you just leave it like that, it has no marginal cost to produce additional units. Okay, and the problem with that, and we know this from like hard money principles, is that when the marginal cost to produce something, whether that be gold, silver, anything, when the marginal cost to produce something is zero, that is ultimately where the value of that asset will end up. Okay. Right? And so what... The, the creator of Bitcoin had to do was to tether this digital token to a real world cost. And that's where mining comes in. So you actually have to put in computational energy. You have to have electrical input and computational energy in order to produce Bitcoin. Right. So there's a real world cost to produce That's Bitcoin. where you're seeing these huge, like, you know, all these yeah. modems and all that. Okay. And so what these guys are doing is they're basically helping to secure the network, Right. And the way they get rewarded is by Bitcoin. So this supply issuance of Bitcoin, that, that goes to the miners. That's the only way Bitcoin enters the ecosystem. Is if it goes through that process. So it consumes the electricity, consumes the natural, whatever that is to keep the computers running. That's right. So okay. they're, they're running a basically an algorithm and they're solving a, like a, a blunt force computer solution. Uh, a cryptographic solution that, that's there. Everyone on the globe who's running a miner is competing to try to solve this algorithm and then whoever gets it every 10 minutes gets a little bit of bitcoin okay and so the the reality is that if the reality is that in order for bitcoin to have grown from worth being worth zero dollars to being worth a trillion dollars is you had to align market incentives to the people who were performing the network right and those market incentives are the issuance of Bitcoin. That's, that's what they get for expending that computational, that electrical energy. And so what you're seeing right now is it's tremendously, uh, pro, you know, it's, it's a very profitable business to be in right now, the mining of Bitcoin. Right. Because every, every day right now, uh, there's 900 Bitcoin issued to the mining network globally. So that's like, uh, I think it's like $40 million a day is what's being paid out to these Bitcoin miners Jeez. globally. Okay. So if you're sitting there and, and maybe you're contributing 0.1% of the network, well, you're getting 0.1% of that 40, that 40 million. That's pretty good for a yeah. day's work. Yeah. So that's why you see these massive operations where people are investing a ton of capital to try to build up their computational network to try to like 
essentially capture more of this proportional share of global hash rate. So for the average for for, yeah. for the average um, um, purchaser, for the average individual, the consumer, whatever you want to call, uh, they don't need to go to that extreme where they no, have to no. start. Yeah. So so that's that's more for when people want to kind of they want to dive in and kind of uh, that's their business. You know, that, but, that's but right. for the average investor and all that stuff, you don't need to to do your own computing and all that stuff. It's 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 a, there's a market there. That that's right. Yeah. I mean, it's and it's a highly liquid market. Right. Huge, huge, huge market. Uh, billions of dollars transacted every day. It's, it's, it's tremendous. But um, yeah, you essentially just go open up an account on an exchange and there's tons of them. Uh, Coinbase, Strike, Kraken. And and you can just go put dollars in and buy it just like you would a stock. Right? So just like you would downloading Schwab. So I guess I guess the. OK, how about this? What have what are, what are some, I guess, uh, critics of uh, Bitcoin and all that stuff? And what, and what, what are some common uh, yeah. criticisms of Bitcoin that you've heard? Um, so some of the most popular ones, I guess, you when, when you get in discussions with people and kind of how do you debunk that? Yeah, the the, the biggest one I probably hear is, um, well, the government's just going to ban it. That's what my dad says. Yeah. And and I think that early on, um, I think that early on, the government had a really good opportunity to do. They could have done that and killed the protocol. But right now, um, it's virtually impossible to ban it. And, and, and so I'll, I'll kind of say that for two reasons. The first of which is um, the, compu- the, the mining network and the nodes that, that run the, the ledger, it's globally distributed across the entire world, right? And all it is, when you look at, when you look at the, the, the entire Bitcoin blockchain, it's just information. It's all it is is decentralized information. Okay. And what's really interesting about the idea of decentralized information is it has a lot of staying power, right? So if you take the same Bitcoin ledger and you copy it over a hundred times and you put it across the globe, that's gonna la- that's gonna be really really hard to kill. And so if you think about like other things historically that have been de- that were decentralized information, decentralized, you would think about things like the Bible, right? I mean, like you think about the Bible and you'd say, well, what is the Bible? It's just information that was decentralized and distributed globally. Yeah. Like you can't get rid of that. Right. Right. It's outlasted empires. And so at its core, that's what, that's what kind of the Bitcoin ledger, the Bitcoin blockchain is. It's like, it's like just this ledger that's been decentralized. So even if they destroyed 99.9% of the nodes out there, one could restart it just like that. So from a technological standpoint, the fact that it's globally distributed, it makes it incredibly hard to kill. It's like a cockroach. Okay. Uh, the second thing is, I think that as adoption uh, continues, the regulatory moat around Bitcoin continues to expand. So by that, I mean, I was talking to you about it earlier. Now you have athletes taking their salary in Bitcoin. You have politicians taking their salary in Bitcoin. You have Politicians disclosing on on uh, forms that they're legally making and will continue to make investments into Bitcoin. Right. You have massive organizations, hedge funds, publicly traded companies that are allocating to Bitcoin. So what you're seeing here is this regulatory moat grow and grow and grow around this asset class. Because if you're going to go after this asset class, it's like that's like a trillion dollars worth of money in it. That's a lot of you know. And in the U.S., I think it's like sixty or fifty million people or so own cryptocurrencies so you go after that that's going to be a very unpopular decision yes. politically especially very, yeah yeah right i mean especially if you got hedge funds especially if you got athletes especially if you got you know pop stars and all that stuff going out and, and politicians exactly right yeah so 
so that's what I would say. I mean, over time, um, uh, this demand, th this, this, this asset class is only going to expand in maturity. And so let's talk about the last 18 months. Maturity or acceptance. Except exactly. Yeah, right, yeah. Interchangeably. Right. I kind of use that interchangeably. Um, so there's a really interesting principle called um, the Lindy effect. And what it proposes is that the longer something has survived, the higher its chances of survival are. And so what we're seeing is that play out into Bitcoin. The longer it's been alive, the more entrenched it becomes in our society, right? The more commonplace it becomes, the more people have personal allocations to it. It's harder to kill. So let's look at the last 18 months, right? What's happened in the last 18 months in this ecosystem? Well, we've seen that banks have received clearance to custody Bitcoin. So before too long, banks are going to start being able to hold dollars and Bitcoin. Um, you've had front page articles on the Wall Street Journal, New York Times. You have constant ticker streams on Bloomberg. Um, you had Square, Cash App, Venmo, Twitter. They have all integrated into the Bitcoin network. You're also seeing a lot of, uh, of our colleagues kind of get out and, and, and follow the Bitcoin uh, in the Bitcoin um, industry. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of them. Um, you had um, an IPO of Coinbase, which was the first crypto brokerage. It's now a publicly traded company. You had an ETF futures launched, um, you know, and, uh, and right now it's estimated that like you got over 100 million users worldwide, maybe over about 50 million in America. So that what's happening is it's permeating society. It's slow and it's early, very early, but it's happening. Is it slow? Because here, yeah. here's, here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm yeah. saying. I mean, you mentioned for, you know, you, I'm shocked that you got into it March 2020 because talking to you, it sounds like you've been in for a long time. Right. So. Do you feel that that uh, the pandemic, the the worldwide pandemic, whether what happened, whether it's to the you know, governments, with the people, and all that stuff, did that kind of throw that fuel on the fire to yeah. kind of get? Without that, do you think we'd kind of still be kind of creeping up with the Bitcoin thing, or was that kind of the catalyst to to kind of push countries such as El Salvador and all that stuff and individuals over the edge to start looking at Bitcoin as kind of an asset class to put your money in to keep your purchasing power? Yeah. Uh, a hundred percent. That was a massive, massive catalyst. Mm -hmm. um, because it was just like what I talked about before. It's this previous allocation from a portfolio standpoint is broken. Like who in there, you know, you think about it. Our grandparents gave us, you know, bond certificates when we yeah. were kids. It's like, hey, keep this for 10 years. It's going to give you a 5% yield on it or whatever. Yeah. Well, that, that whole asset class is broken now. Yeah. Right. Unless, unless you had to hold bonds. Like no rational economic actor is going to buy bonds right now, right? And then holding cash is just, it's just the wrong decision right now. And you have major hedge fund managers like Ray Dalio going out publicly and saying cash is trash. So yeah, I think, I think this opened up a lot of people's eyes. And then they looked at Bitcoin. They said, Bitcoin was kind of custom built for this. Um, it's been around for 12 years. It's never been hacked, right? It's has the highest ROI of any asset in human history ever, right? Because it went from $0 to $50,000. Right. Um, and so they started, I think a lot of people in 2020 seriously started looking at it. That's fascinating. That I mean, look, I heard about it before 2020, obviously, yeah. and also, but the fact that you, there is a movement, and it seems like with the, with, the, with the crypto world, the Bitcoin world, I mean, it, it's... It, that's why I like talking to you because it's a very rational discussion. There's reasoning behind your, your, and I'm not saying that everyone out there doesn't have the same reasoning or anything like that, but you're able to communicate all that stuff. But it feels like in the Bitcoin world, it's, it's just like, 
and I hate saying this and I don't want to be this way, but it seems like it's like, a, okay, well, it's like a, a if, if I'm talking about Bitcoin, if I want to engage in Bitcoin conversations, yeah. there's going to be one person at the table that's going to be the Bitcoin bro yeah. cult. Like, oh, dude, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. it's like, dude, it'll fix that. It'll fix this. Blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? So it seems kind of like a like a club or a mindset. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, the fact that you're describing it kind of, you know, with these, you know, researched, educated kind of uh, – basis or foundation behind it like it's making a lot more sense to me and the the best part of that i'm taking from this is like i don't have to know the ins and outs of it all i need to know is that am i going to bet on this going up or am i not that's exactly right yeah i mean the uh that's exactly right you know a lot of people get hung up on the safety of the 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 protocol like can it get hacked yeah okay so can it and and i would say that it's near impossible because of the way that it's built to get hacked and I, I would say that there's some empirical evidence that supports that. And so <clears throat> the example that I love to give is, is you, you always hear about these different stores or like small banks, they're getting hacked, right? It's like right. Target, Target gets hacked, you know, 1.5 million people's information yeah, yeah, yeah. was linked or like a uh, small, small, small chain bank gets hacked. Ticket or whatever it is. You know, you always hear about these things, right? And so you think about that. It's like, well, if you were to hack Target, um, and you were to get, you know, a million people's personal information. And what's that maybe worth on the, the, you know, the open market, maybe like a few million bucks, right? That's the, that's the price. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> that's right. God. So, um, <laughs> but so if you think about that, it's like, all right, if the Bitcoin network, if you could hack the Bitcoin network, what's the size of the prize? What's a trillion dollars, right? That's the value that's in that's where right. you, could, you, you could extract so much more money than any of these other hacks, you know, but it hasn't been hacked. And it hasn't been hacked in like over 12 years. Like what other system, what other purely native digital uh, system can say that? So, but here's the thing though. So for the past 12 years, it hasn't had the center stage, the limelight that it has now. So with the increasing value, with it being more people kind of investing their times and resources and, you know, their, you know, contracts where that is, is there more eyes or is there more hackers trying to kind of go after the system? Well, probably. Um, But- but blockchain is uh, kind of the antithesis of our current like ledger-based systems. And I'll give you an example. And that's what makes it so hard to hack. So um, can you yeah, walk, I'm gonna, can I'm gonna you go to use uh, the people that don't know what blockchain is? Not <laughs> I'm gonna me, go into detail here. Help them out. So so the the way all these um, ledgers work today, these these systems, is they're all hyper-centralized, right? And so the example I would give is. Um, if I'm going to transfer $100 to you and we both bank at uh, Wells Fargo, right. all Wells Fargo has a centralized database of ledgers. They say David has this amount of money in his account. JP has this amount of money in his account. Transfer money from David to JP. Boom. Right. And the problem with that is there is with these centralized systems that exist today is that it's all a single point of failure. If I hack that one Wells Fargo. You'll have my information, your information, everyone else's information. 50 million people's right. information. Yep. Well, so that's the system. That's kind of the system that we exist in today. Blockchain takes that and, and turns it 180 degrees. It says, okay, instead of one guy having this ledger, I'm going to have 100,000 people have this ledger. Okay. Right? And they all have to validate it. So if there's one person that tries to uh, incorrectly put a ledger in there, you're going to have 99.9% of the rest of the network. Say, nope, that's a false transaction. Block it. 
But that's how blockchain works. It takes a centralized ledger system and it decentralizes it. And that's why it's so secure. Because the only way you can really hack a like a decentralized blockchain is you have to basically own 51% of the network. It's called a 51% attack. So you have to own the majority of the network so that you can basically collude with the rest of these actors and say, hey, let's go ahead and put this false transaction. Up. However, it's decentralized to that to that the chance of that happening is very yeah, good yeah. luck with Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, it's in over a hundred countries. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. It's 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 unless you get some James Bond super villain type yeah, of yeah, orchestrated orchestrated attack. It's it's more than likely it's not gonna happen. Yeah, I mean and like I said, like the incentive is a trillion dollars and they've had 10 years to try to do it and it hadn't happened. And as the network grows, becomes more robust it's it going to be more, more difficult. difficult. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Because, you know, a lot of people say, well. You have more guards on the tower, exactly. if you will. You know, and a lot of people say, well, it, Bitcoin uses so much energy. Well, it does. Um, but, but that energy is, is that cryptographic protection on the entire decentralized network. So crypto uses energy mining, it, correct? Proof of work protocols, Bitcoin does. Once, what I say? Crypto. Whatever, man. Go with me. All right. So, just, so, so Bitcoin uses energy to mine that individual Bitcoin. Once right. that Bitcoin is mined, it's, it doesn't, you don't need energy to kind of every year, it doesn't need a certain amount of energy to maintain that $1 trillion or whatever. It's once it's, once it's mined, it's mined. Yeah. 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 That's right. So the, the, the electrical input is used to basically secure the network and to generate additional Bitcoin. Okay. But once the Bitcoin exists, you know, it belongs to the miner. They can choose to save it. They can choose to transact it, do whatever with it. Um, what's interesting about Bitcoin and its energy, uh, case is that a lot of people have a really big issue. You know, you hear some politicians talk about like Bitcoin uses so much electricity. Yep. yep. It does use a ton of electricity. Yep. But what's interesting about that is Bitcoin uses, um, a lot of times electricity that would otherwise be lost. And so the, for the first time in human history with the Bitcoin network, we can monetize energy sources. No, otherwise, yeah, that that flared or gone or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So, so like in our application, the oil and gas industry is like, well, I've got, got, a, I've got a series of gas wells that I'm turning on. I don't have any midstream connect to that. Um, I guess I'm going to flare it. Well, you could set up a Bitcoin miner there, take the natural gas, right? Yep. Put generate electricity yep. through it. Yeah, uh, with it, and uh, mine Bitcoin with it, right? So you're able to monetize an otherwise wasted energy source. But people are doing this all over the world. People are. You know, in China, especially, there were there were a um, huge area where there was a ton of hydroelectric energy with no cities nearby. So you had wasted energy. And what they did was they took that hydroelectric energy and they used it to mine Bitcoin with it. So a lot of people think, well, it's using electricity that could otherwise be, you know, used to power my Christmas lights on my house or whatever. But the reality is like, I think it's like 65% of the network, I think it's a Cambridge study, like 65% of the network right now is renewables. And a, a chunk of that's not renewables is, you know, might be like flare gas solutions. Yeah. Oils. So it's like, it gets this bad rap for being energy intensive, but I would say two things. Number one, that energy- You're just using the energy versus just letting it dissipate. That's right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are, are really disillusioned with, with, you know, this whole EV revolution and whatnot. But in reality, it's like, um, electricity is not a base source of energy. Like no. you have to take something and turn and it into electricity. It into electricity. Yeah. And then once it's electricity, like that thing, that thing about electricity is it's really hard to move across 
uh, space. Yeah, it's not it's not transportable or yeah. yeah. You can, yeah. good luck moving it over five hundred miles, right? So you have all these energy sources, and if there's not necessarily a city center there or infrastructure currently in place to move it, it's, it's like, wasted. Wasted. It's wasted. So for the first time in human history, we have Bitcoin, where you can now monetize all these incredibly remote energy sources, and make money with them to continue to secure this network. It's like an incredible incentives-driven structure. Securing the network. What was that again? Yeah, so so the, so the that is like to keep the network running, to keep all the transactions, to keep the ledger building blocks okay. and whatnot. Yeah, to keep the blockchain working. So what is, what's what's some more, uh, I guess, uh, when, when you're having these discussions with people, what are some more, I guess, so the first first critique of this is that it's not going to be backed by the, by the U.S. government or they're going to shut it down or something yeah. like that, but that's going to be debunked because it's too late. It, that's right. It's, yeah. a little bit, it's a little bit too late. It, it's it's permeating society. That's what, right. What would be another kind of, I guess, criticism or kind of skeptic of of, 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 of Bitcoin that you're hearing a lot? Oh, gosh. I mean, there's so many. Oh, uh, I'm sure, uh, <laughs> that's the thing. I'm sure there's so many. Well, and, and you know, I try to tackle the initially the, the, the point about value, right? A lot of people say like, well, it's not backed by anything, right? And to that, I would say, well, a lot of people don't realize, but the U.S. dollar isn't backed by anything either. It used to be backed by gold. So and it's a mindset shift. Yeah, it, it is a mindset shift. It's a shift. mindset shift. That, that's exactly right. And, and and ultimately, like, you know, I'll say one more thing about um, inflation here. You know, when you think about Bitcoin, and, and we're talking about its use case for us as an asset class, right? Um, but in reality, like, Bitcoin is is so much bigger than that. And another really big thing about Bitcoin that I'm particularly passionate about is is kind of the humanitarian effort to Bitcoin, right? Ooh, go on. You're, yeah. You, here's my little here's my little G for my ESG for Bitcoin plug right here. Okay, go on. So um likely, you know, the majority of your audience is, is from the United States. Right. And and obviously in our lifetimes, we've never experienced hyperinflation. Or probably we don't even know anyone who has experienced hyperinflation. Um, but in reality, from kind of a historical global context, there's been 28 cases of hyperinflation in the last 25 years. Okay. So inflation, uh, hyperinflation is defined as uh, a loss in the purchasing power of a, of a currency of 50% every month. Okay. So think about just how incredibly damaging that is to uh, a legacy, a family, everything. I mean, to an economy. And it happens all the time. Right. And so you look at that and you say, imagine the entire net worth of your family eroding in front of you. There's nothing and, you can do. And you can do nothing. about it. Well, for the first time in human history, we can do something. You can about lock it. in your purchasing power. Yeah. Hold it. I mean, if you were, you know, to us, it doesn't necessarily seem like an imperative to move U.S. dollars into Bitcoin, even at a 6.8% inflation. It's like, ugh, that's kind of terrible, but all right. But if you were like in Venezuela um, or in Turkey or in Nigeria, imagine what a what a like a life raft it would be to have Bitcoin. To be yeah. able to say, I'm going to take this money and put it in Bitcoin. I know Bitcoin's volatile, but my currency is going to zero. Yeah. Right. And so that is that to me is like you have hundreds of millions of people globally that are ha seeing massive currency devaluations. And the problem with, with currency devaluation, a lot of people don't realize this, but it perpetuates the wealth inequality, right? Um, the devaluation of a currency is actually very good for asset owners. I mean, we saw that. If you owned real estate last year, 
Yeah. You're doing great. Yeah, absolutely. If you own stocks last year, you're doing great. Like, so all these, if you, if you're the owner of assets, you're doing really well with devaluation of currency. But if you're lower on the socioeconomic ladder, right. And you're a fixed wage income worker. Then you're Inflation hurts. Yes. Big time. And then you take that and you go like one rung below to these countries that are experiencing, you know, call it even 15, 20, 30% inflation. Like that hits. It's a lifeline. That hits. So, so that's the humanitarian effort. And you look at it and you say, golly, you can, essentially, you can essentially give all these people a store of value that is completely irrespective of the decisions of their central bank or their nationality or whatnot. And now I can get out of the country if I move with 100% of that wealth. Even if, you know, if, if you're a Venezuelan, let's just say, and you were to put all your money in gold, well, Good luck getting across the border with that. Yeah. You know, with Bitcoin, we have this natively digital token that you can just keep the, the seed code in your head, cross the border, and all of a sudden you're still as wealthy get as a you new were phone when you left. And just get a new account, log that's, in. That's it. So you look at that and you say, man, like what a lifeline that is globally. And, and to be honest with you, you know, hyperinflation, inflation, the, the debasement of currencies, it's nothing new. It's been happening. Why do you? For decades. Yeah. I feel like everything is kind of with everything. To, the world being smaller, it seems like it's kind of a, it hits everyone. Yeah. More and faster. So, okay. So this is, I would assume if I'm coming in to Bitcoin, I wish it was, you know, 2017, right. Where a lot of people didn't know about it. A lot of people didn't, you know, get in, you know, get in the ground floor. Why are so many people just like yourself talking about it so much when I guess there's so much opportunity to not to not have people know about. I mean, is, yeah. is it better to not have people know about it? That way, if you do know about it, you can kind of, you know, make, make more money or is it, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I do. Yeah. Um, like what's your motivation to talk about it for the, because, you know, if you talk about scarcity, right, you want more pie for yourself, for your family or yeah. whatever, the Bitcoin bros want more pie for this and also <laughs> Bitcoin bros in bras, whatever. But, um, so why is this, why are so many people talking about and betting on all this stuff? Because if it's scarcity, wouldn't you want not to have that many people know about it? I, I mean, so first and foremost, yeah, I'm, I'm passionate about Bitcoin because of um, what it stands for, uh, you know, for our family, like a preservation of purchasing power. I'm, I'm passionate because of the humanitarian aspect of Bitcoin. But, you know, for me, um, Good education on this asset class is exactly what's needed. Because if, if you go and, and, and you look at 10 CNN articles and you read the headline, I guarantee nine out of 10 of them are going to be talking you know, horribly about Bitcoin. The, the skeptical side of Bitcoin. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bitcoin dropped 15% or, yeah, or you not, know, not, still not backed by the you know, Federal Reserve. Yeah. That, that's right. Yeah. And, and so for me, you know, I, I don't look at it as, as a, uh, you know, a, a get rich quick scheme or me. This is just something that I've chosen with our family's like net worth to make a, a really large allocation towards it. I kind of like it too, because it's kind of, is it has this, you know, you know, screw the government, whether it, yeah, it, it yeah, kind of yeah. has like a, you know, hey, you guys let me down. I'm not going to be relying on you too much. It's kind of like this, like, you know, uh, you know, this screw the government style That's uh, right. attitude towards it. It, it. it absolutely does. You know, and Bitcoin has a lot of roots in, in a, in the very libertarian movement. Right. And so if you think about what lib, what, libertarians value it's um zero to no government, government intrusion yep. and property rights and when i think about bitcoin you know bitcoin is the highest form of property rights it's something that is a bare asset which means that you can own it um 
without like a third party custodian, right? It's completely irrespective of any single nation state that exists out there. And so like, as far as like personal property, it's kind of the highest form of personal property. It's, it's even better than like, I would say a home from a personal property perspective, because at home, well, guess what? You still own property taxes every single year to the government. It, look, I'll There's tell you one thing. A home, a home is not an asset, in my opinion. It's a liability. <laughs> yeah. It's a yeah. liability. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people believe that. That's right. All right. So let's, let's first off, w- w- okay. Let's say after this, I'm sold. Okay. Okay. Boom. Got Bitcoin. Uh, or I'm interested in Bitcoin. I'm going to go to one of these websites. I'm going to put in my bank information. I'm going to get verified, whatever that looks yeah, like. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not investing in Bitcoin or crypto, anything right now and all okay. that stuff. But, you know, talking about this, I mean, obviously we'll probably have a follow-up conversation off topic. But so let's say I'm in, okay? okay. You got me converted. Um, I'm not looking at Bitcoin as this, as this, you know, uh, subculture genre, uh, fan club, like, you know, Star Wars or Comic-Con or anything like that. Right, and right, I'm right. looking at this as an asset class. Um, and I'm moving away from that whole, like, cryptocurrency trending word and all that stuff. And I'm, okay, I'm looking at this as an asset. Okay. So I'm in, I go, I put in, you know, a grand or five grand or a hundred dollars, whatever that looks like. Um, what do you advise for people to do? Do you advise people to watch it every day and to sub, buy the dip and stuff like that? <laughs> I mean, no, I'm serious. I mean, I, so once you are, I guess, kind of in the Bitcoin realm, um, what, what, what next? What do you do? Yeah. Um, that's really, um, Again, like the, my, my advice is just kind of what's, what's, yeah, I'm not saying your financial advisor. Um, I'm just saying like, kind of what, what is, what, what would someone like me, like me do? Do I just sit back and wait or do I just kind of, do I play with it? I mean, what? yeah. So in, in my mind, this is absolutely an asset that you don't want to look at every day. Okay. We, you, you know, make the allocation that you want to make and then don't do anything for five years. Like okay. Literally let it sit there. You know, you, you probably want to buy it on Coinbase, uh, you know, pull it off the exchange, put it in cold storage. That's, we could talk about that offline, but uh, this is something where you just kind of want to buy it and hold it. Now, when I first bought Bitcoin, I was like, you know what? This is kind of a 10x trade. I'm in, I'm out, I'm done. That's it. Yeah. And then I was like, well, gosh, maybe I'll hold it for a few years. And then now I started to really studied it and, and trended in my mind where I think this is going to go. I'm like, well, Sloan's probably going to get the majority of my Bitcoin. Like this is something I want, like my this daughter. Is a, this, this is a long game. That, that's 100% right. And that's how you should look at it because- you know, Bitcoin looks, it, you know, day to day, it, it's crazy. Week to week, month to month. When you start zooming out to year to year, oh, it's looking pretty good. When you start zooming out even further, it's it, a lot better. It looks great. So it's, it's, you know, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, volatility is the price you pay for upward price appreciation. And in the short term, Bitcoin is very volatile. So what I would advise people to do is to say, I'm going to look at my net worth. And, uh, you know, what's, what's a part of my net worth that I, I want to invest in this? Maybe it's 5%. And you, and you look at that and you say, okay, if, if 5% goes to zero, and I don't think Bitcoin is going to go to zero, but just, you know. Will it hurt my family? Right? Will it hurt my Is this going to do yeah. anything? And, and the answer for everybody is basically no. Yeah. And then you can say, well, like, what if, what if over 10 years, you know, that 5% is now, is like a 20X investment? Um, that's, that's, that's significant. You know, that's significant. So then you think about it like that. And so, so for me, it's like, if I were just starting today, to be honest with you, what I would do is I would say like, I'm going to try to have like. I mean, this is just my, but I would say like, I'm going to try to have like a Bitcoin for each of my kids. And then when they turn 18, I'm going to give them the Bitcoin and they'll probably be able to, you know, buy their first house, pay for their wedding, pay for their college education. And, you know, maybe try to start up a company with that money. Like that's, that's the price appreciation that I think is going to happen over the next, for me, you know, 15 years. Okay. Age of my daughter. But 
that that's kind of how I would look at it. I was like, this is like a generational uh, sort of property that I'm going to pass down. Like that's where my mindset's at. That's crazy now because, you know, back then it was like, you know, chateaus you pass down to your children or the farm or the, whatever that yeah. now it's a, it's a piece of it's digital type, yeah. digital uh, currency. It's, it's crazy, but think about where we live right now. You know what I mean? We're streaming this on my iPhone. We're talking mm-hmm. about this. I'll probably, I'm going to use Dropbox to send this, you know, yeah. uh, without plugging my phone in to send the video in. Like, so we are in that world in yeah, this day and age. And, and uh, to, to catch everybody up, um, JP and I were talking about this at lunch today. You know, what we're seeing, what we've seen over the last 10 years is, is just the dematerialization of our entire economy, right? The, some of the biggest, biggest businesses in the world don't really like own a lot of things. Like they don't have brick, brick and mortar. mortar. Nope. Yeah, exactly right. So, you know, if you think about that, it's like, well, Bitcoin is kind of like this dematerialization of, of money. Right. It's like this huge thing to disrupt. And it's like it hasn't been disrupted yet. But I mean, there's I think right now, I mean, we're kind of sitting in and this is kind of my feeling from watching all this stuff. I don't honestly, whether it's the the, the, the fictional movie that kind of does tie into real, the, the yeah. don't look up, whether it's whether it's the distrust of the government, whether it's the interest rates going on, what are all that stuff. There's a lot of distrust right now. And a lot of um, people want to kind of ha- be in control of their own wealth. You know what I mean? There's a lot of yeah people want to be in control of that. So, I mean, this is kind of. Um, it's eye opening to me because before this, I was like, shit, I got to know every technical side of how to mine right. it. Or, but I guess that it's okay to have that out there, but you really have to drown that out if you're really not into that. You know what I mean? For me, I'm glad, honestly, what I'm taking away is JP, you don't have to know yeah. 95% of everything. All you need to know is it's like, it's, it's a, it's a, a virtual real estate that, that, yeah. but it's, you know what I mean? Though that's yeah, more scarce yeah, and all. Right. So it's a virtual thing to put to keep to solve the problem of of inflation to keep my purchasing power as a consumer. That's exactly and right. to watch it grow. You know, um, you, you you talk about this feeling of distrust, and 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 a lot of people have this feeling. And and what you've my interpretation of that is that um, people have this like underlying feeling that things kind of aren't right, that they're falling yes. behind. And in my mind, it's, it's what's happened is the social contract between government and its citizens has been broken, right? And what we've seen is since 1971, which is where we moved off the gold standard, um, politicians have basically, or government has basically run a deficit year after year after year. And when you run a deficit, when the government runs a deficit, there's a few different ways that they could, they could kind of make up for the slack, right? And so you can, you can sell bonds. Uh, you can choose austerity, which is just basically controlling your spending. You can increase taxes or you can um, tax. You can actually increase the monetary supply. You can I'm not ta- I'm sorry, ta- increase the monetary uh, supply. You can right. inflate the currency. Right. And so what we've been seeing is a preference over the, since, over the last 50 years of our government to basically inflate the currency to cover the deficit. And what that does is that creates dislocations in the economy. From income yes. to actually purchasing yes. power, it drives up assets, it drives up wealth inequality. And so all these feelings that that people have, they can't kind of verbalize, they can't quantify them, but it's there. a real source. It's there. It's, it's there. I mean, look, I mean, you know, you, you have them announcing, oh, it's going to go this percent or we're this percent. It's like, yeah, you're saying that. But number one, I don't trust you anymore. You know what I mean? So yeah. how do I know that you making that decision actually has the right, you know, is looking out for and also knows what's going to happen once you do that? Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. I mean, in, inflation is a, is a silent tax, 
right? It's, it's, it's not something in your face, but essentially if, if there's 7% in CPI inflation, which is the numbers right now, I mean, that means that every year at the end of the year, um, 7% more to live the same yeah, way. Yeah, The government's reaching into your account and taking 7% yeah. or, or maybe said another way. It's like, well, um, you're basically losing, you know, two, two paychecks, uh, two paychecks a year, Yeah, two biweekly paychecks a year. Yeah. Like, that's considerable. Um, and, and the reality is, um, the CPI is a government metric that's, that's highly manipulated. The, the true inflation rate, according to the way they used to measure it in 1980 and by shadow stats, a few other different groups is probably closer to like 15%. Yeah. But that makes sense though, doesn't it? Right. Cause houses are up 22% year over year. Commodities are up almost 40% year over year. You look at raw materials, lumber, coffee, yeah, anything else. Yeah. And they're up like 15, 20, 30%. So of course inflation is not 6.8%. It's a lot. higher. It's a lot higher. But they'll say six point eight to keep people happy. Well, and to keep people happy, and you know they have uh, entitlement programs that that have to be weighed based on inflation, right? So there's huge entitlement programs with the government support, social security, military things like that. And it's like if inflation starts to run rampant, they actually have to increase the the payouts, right? So there, it's kind of like a, one of the metrics that they use to to uh, you know grade the health of an economy. And it's, it's totally manipulated metric, but that's a. So, okay. So let's get, let's get back to Bitcoin. So where do you kind of see, I guess, the short term, I guess, progression of Bitcoin? Um, and uh, you, you've gone the long term, uh, yeah. I think enough, but where do you kind of see the short term, um, I guess, progression and hurdles um, with, with the Bitcoin, I guess, uh, currency. And is it okay to call it a currency? Uh, it's a cryptocurrency. Yeah. Um, um, it's a decent question. Yeah, so I, I tend not to focus too much on the short term. Uh, you know, short term, what I think will happen is uh, more countries will continue to adopt it. I, I think that um, twenty in this year we'll probably see one or two other countries, you know, uh, legalize it, okay. make it legal tender. Okay. I think you'll continue to see politicians put on their platform that they are pro Bitcoin. Um, I think you'll continue to see companies take allocations, whether it's on their balance sheet or whatnot. Um, one major catalyst that could happen this year, I, I, I do hope happens this year, is that an ETF gets passed, a spot ETF gets passed. Um, because that essentially will open up the railways from, you know, $100 trillion equity market to a one, you know, $1 trillion asset Bitcoin. And so it's going to allow fund managers to more easily make allocations okay. to Bitcoin okay. just through the ETF. And so, you know, we have a futures-based ETF that's very, very different than a spot ETF. But when the spot ETF of, of uh, gold took off, the price of gold responded uh, very, very favorably. And the reason was because for the first time in a long time, people could, you know, major institutions, hedge funds, uh, family offices, all these, they could take allocations to gold. Okay. And so I think that's likely going to, to happen. happen okay. But, but it's, you know, this whole thing, the, the adoption will continue to move up. The demand curve will continue to move up. We know what supply is going to do. And, you know, to, to, um, to kind of conclude here, yeah. if, if, if I could, the, you know, what really people need to think about is, you know, Bitcoin in, in roughly 10 years has basically gone from a obscure digital collectible with zero value to a $1 trillion asset class. Um, and really, I would argue that the path from zero to $50,000 was a hell of a lot more difficult than the path will be from $50,000 to where I see it going, which is over a million dollars. So from zero to 50 was a hell of a lot more difficult. Yeah. Thing. Okay. Why? You were, boot, you were bootstrapping the network. You had, you had to go from, from zero to one, like momentum is a, is a hell of a thing. Right. And I guess with all that 
energy and, and electricity and all that stuff to get that one Bitcoin? Well, I, I mean, initially, initially it was just like a bunch of cryptographic like internet nerds trying to say like this was, you know, this is kind of a neat protocol. They were trying to explain the value proposition of this yeah. to this. You know, there wasn't as much monetary expansion with the central banks as there was then. And then, you know, now you have people, it's a lot easier to jump on board now when you say, well, yeah, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple owns Bitcoin. Like he's, if him and Elon Musk and some of these other guys are doing it, like, why wouldn't I? So, you know, you're starting to see what I mentioned before, like that, that Lindy effect yeah. where people are feeling a lot more comfortable with it, not because they understand it more, just because like everybody else seems to be talking about it and really bright, minds own the thing yeah you know so that's why it's a lot easier to jump on board now even without zero knowledge of the protocol or the network or the fundamental value proposition but the thing is you don't what i'm getting from you don't need to know that stuff that, that's, that's that's literally for people that just kind of want to learn study so be you know be students themselves and learn about it more but what you're telling me and was, i'm kind of actually it's kind of refreshing for yeah. me is you don't need to know all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's right. cool to know that's if you, if you want to learn it, but at the end of the day, you just have to know that there's a limited supply. That's right. And it's, and, and you're betting on that, on that, uh, to go up. You're betting on the demand, the demand to, to go up. up. To that, go that's in. exactly that's right. I mean. Yeah. So it's like, do I think that more people are going to yes. find out, learn about Bitcoin? Yes. yes. Do I think that more publicly traded companies are going to make allocations to Bitcoin? Yes. Yes. Do I think that more organizations are maybe going to move away from bonds and maybe diversify into partially Bitcoin? Hopefully. Yeah. So, and, and, and uh, to, to reference like how explosive those would be, there's, there's two research articles that I really liked. One was with um, ARK Invest, uh, Catherine Woods company. And they said, they looked and they said, if every S&P 500 company puts 1% of their cash into Bitcoin, 1%, it would have a $40,000 price increase per Bitcoin. That's a 1% for the S&P 500 companies. And there was another uh, study put out by Masari, and they looked at it and they said, if um, sovereign wealth funds, uh, hedge fund managers, family wealth offices, if they put in 1% of assets to Bitcoin, it'd be an incremental $60,000 of Bitcoin. So, so that's what I'm saying. As, as companies start to make allocations, even if they're tiny, but as, as this thing becomes more entrenched into society, more entrenched into the financial sector and organizations, hedge funds, et cetera, start making contracts small, are done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Small allocations. It's like this is going to have massive uh, price appreciation. It, it, it just will. And so that that's really the bet that you're making on. And, and you know, so for everyone listening, the, the thing that you really got to think about is um, you're, you're still really, really early. And that's, that's the thing though. I mean, yeah. because, because it's so center stage right now, because the limelight's on so many people are talking about it, right? Yeah, you got the absolutely. laser eyes, you got the Bitcoin farms and all that stuff. And, you know, Bitcoin will fix this or all that stuff. I feel like I'm too late to the party. It's like, oh shit, I didn't know about this a year and a half. Everyone knows more than I do in the room. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the fact is you don't need, we're still in the early stage. We're still so early. I mean, the, in reality, this is going to be around for a very long time. You might as well spend the time to get educated on it, at least the value proposition of Bitcoin. In my opinion, a, a zero allocation to Bitcoin is the only wrong allocation to Bitcoin. You should really, you know, do your family, I would say yourself and your family a service and study it, figure out if it's worth investing in, figure out what percentage of your portfolio wanna, you want to put in it. Buy it, custody it. And then don't look at it for five years. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, that's, that's the reality that that's really what you want to do. I like that. I like that. So what, what, what are you going to wrap us up with? Is that kind of, is that kind of a 
bringing us back to the uh, to the beginning. If you if you are investing, take what you'd be comfortable and and not not having around, That's put right. it in there, just and just let it sit. That's right. Yeah, and I, and I mean, and and study it and and understand it, and because you know you're going to get questions about it, and you, and you might as well be able to intellectually answer that and have those conversations because it's oddly enough a very polarizing issue. It's incredibly it is, polarizing. It is. I mean, I see a polarization, and it's not the it's not the younger uh, generation. It's majority of the older generation. Yeah. But who's but who's the, the politicians? It's, it's the older generation. Yeah. Who's the banks? It's the older generation. So yeah. that's what that's the only thing that kind of has me concerned. But the fact that it's not just a U.S. Uh, uh, asset project, class. Or, yeah. you know, asset class. It's, yeah. it's a global that's right. asset class kind of. Uh, and the fact is, China's kicking people out or, or they banned it all. So that's Pretty bullish. That's, that's interesting. It's it, it, it long term, short term. It created a lot of like angst and, and selling pressure in the market. But long term, it's probably the best thing that could have happened. I mean, so, yeah, you know, people have for a long time been worried. What if China bans it? What if China bans it? What's going to happen? Well, China banned it. They banned it. It's still trucking along. And 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 all, all those miners just kind of relocated to other parts yeah. of the globe. And now the network is the hash rate. You know, the quantification of the the strength of the network is as strong as it's ever been. So like it took. It took, you know, arguably the hardest hit that it could have taken last year. And it kind of just brushed off and kind of evolved. It, no problem. Yeah. I did so, that. So that was kind of like that, that one big moment for me. I was like, oh man, that, that's a really bad deal. When it, the, that first band came out, it was like 60% of, of the mining network was in China. And boom, that had to relocate. But it, it happened. It happened within like six months back to all time highs. It's like really? from, a, from a hash rate perspective, it's like, that's amazing. So Bitcoin fixes it. That's Bitcoin fixes it. And so real quick, uh, let's get over that real quick. When people say Bitcoin fixes this, and it's not just about whatever. It's, it's kind of goes with, people are saying about everything right now, whether it's about yeah. flat tire, whether it's about whatever, Bitcoin will fix that. Like, I mean, is this, <laughs> is this is it kind of an ongoing gag? Because I kind of want to chime in with it, but I'm not comfortable knowing enough about Bitcoin to even joke about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, we talked about this before, but... You know, the first order uh, value proposition, the first order thing that Bitcoin fixes is is kind of an inflation edge, right? It's the, it's the preservation of a purchasing power. But, you know, inflation has a lot of secondary and third order, very negative effects that that permeate a society. And so the idea is you fix the money, you know, Jack Dorsey would say, fix the money, fix the world. Um, and the reality is this uh, money is at the base layer of society. Money is essentially a compressed form of information that we use to transact with one another. And when the fundamental base layer of society is corroded, it leaks into a lot of different things. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm talking about. You know, it's hard to like really quantify all those things, but you feel it. And that's what we talked about, that feeling like, ah, yeah, something's, something's not something's right. Not, yeah. But, but that's what people are talking about with, with Bitcoin. It's like, Fix, you know, fix the money, fix that base foundational layer, right? There's no reason that the state should have control over the money. That's kind of like one of the tenets that Bitcoin believe. It's like you take that away and it's like there's a lot of second order and third order things that are going to massively improve. Okay. Okay. No, Bitcoin I did that. No, you know, you know what I like about this? And I'm going to kind of wrap it up here. But uh, I know we've been talking for about an hour and 46 minutes. Isn't oh, wow. that crazy? Yeah, that is. It doesn't even feel like that way. But it's... You kind of, you got me on board. Okay. Um, right. You got me on board because, um, you know, I'm thinking about my own life right now. I've 
when I go to you know, the store H E B or something like that, and I'm buying groceries. I'm not giving them, you know, some U.S. dollars and thinking, okay, well, that U.S. dollars that's backed by the Federal Reserve, which is backed by a gold standard, which is backed by this. So, okay, so we can make this transaction. Thank you. I'm not thinking like that. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. And when I'm investing or whatever, if I was investing in you know real estate, I don't need to know the real estate market ins and outs. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, what that's right. So it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, yeah, I probably have more faith and trust in this, you know, decentralized, you know, algorithm yeah. than I do than any person sitting in the office or in the, in the, in the bank desk and the off, bank office, wherever that is. But I don't need to know the ins and outs of Bitcoin. Yeah. I need to know kind of the basic surface, the, the first five, 10% of it. Yeah. Is it just like we, the questions we had before. And from there you base your decision off of that. But I mean, I, it's, it's, it's to me, it doesn't sound, it's not as foreign. You know, and, that's, and that's, it, that's, it's, that's it's not goal, as foreign. It's right? kind of more like I don't feel like I'm just like if I invest in pissing away, you know, in the oh, in this cryptocurrency stock and the blockchain algorithm, whatever. Right. It's it seems more of an a, an asset class, as you said. Yeah, that's exactly that. That's exactly how it should be viewed. I mean, Bitcoin and not crypto, but Bitcoin. It, 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 that's exactly right. It should be seen as kind of a pristine uh, collateral asset that you can own. And that you can foreseeably own for the next, you know, generation. I mean, that's how long term my vision is with this. And, and I think the more that you, you take the time and you study it from kind of a first principles perspective, from a hard money perspective, not necessarily like a technology perspective. But, but you have to learn about the base and what it's based on, the, 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 the money, yeah. monetary side. A absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and that's why, you know, to tie back to the original conversation, that's why that, that book by Safe Dean is so good. The Bitcoin standard is. That's exactly what he does. He basically goes down from a historical context and says, well, let's figure out why gold was so valuable. Let's figure out why gold was chosen uh, you know, across the globe by humanity for thousands of yeah. years. What are those properties? And then he says, well, in that property, that property, that property, that property, Bitcoin does better than all those things. And is, yeah, and is the gold applicable today right. in it's our world? Di it's digital gold. Exactly. It's, it's gold 2.0. <laughs> I dig that. I dig yeah. that. Well, man, I really appreciate you coming by and kind yeah. of uh, – uh, Talking about this, obviously, I have some follow-up questions after this. But everyone, this is Dave Little uh, with, a, with, a, with AOG. We're talking Bitcoin today. If you have any questions about Bitcoin and all that stuff, feel free to reach him out, uh, reach out to him in um, uh, LinkedIn. Shoot him a DM yeah. um, or slide into his DMs, if you will. There you go. And uh, I want to thank you for your time, man. And uh, this is exactly what I was looking to get. Obviously, there's a lot over my head, but there was a lot that really kind of made sense to me. Um, it kind awesome. of uh, got me across the line of uh, not knowing – being too nervous to yeah. uh, engage in conversations versus kind of having conversations now. Awesome. So I appreciate that, man. So everyone, this is Dave Little and we're talking Bitcoin and I appreciate it. And everyone, thanks for tuning into Energy Crew and we'll see y'all soon. Mm -hmm.